Welcome to the Unapologetic Culture Podcast. This is Shamim. And this is Lisette. And today we are doing a different um, episode. So I previously in the other episode, I said that I was going to do an interview with my friend Dunya Ganima, who is um, student, it was the president of the Students for um, Justice for Palestine. Um, And so in that interview, she's going to be discussing more into like Palestine and like the um, occupation and genocide of Palestinians currently going on today um, and currently going up from like the timeline history of like previous historical events and then currently talking about what's going on as of today, which um, what happened like last week where like over 50 Palestinians were killed. And then she's also going to talk about um, her, especially like how it personally impacted her with her cousin um, who was shot by an Israeli uh, soldier in the back and he was in a coma for eight days. Um, Unfortunately, though, he did pass. Um, that's basically just a prayer for those who have passed for Muslims. Um, and so, yeah, we just wish her well. Um, and also, too, we'll add in some links for, like, the... I believe that they said that they need more, like, medics. Um, just help, like, for, like, on the ground right now. And so, like, they just need people to fund, like, um, put more money in that GoFundMe. And so we'll add that into the this episode when we share it. And so hopefully the viewers and people who want to share it and also donate they can donate there um but yeah so enjoy and listen and educate and also share and like also just take the time out to research yourself about the palestinian um uh, conflict thank you can you hear me yeah can you hear me yeah hey girl hey how are you (laughs) I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Um, yeah, so I just want to say thank you again for, like, wanting to do this interview. Um, of course. And, yeah, so I think, like, we can just basically start off just saying, like, your name, like, your, and, like, introduction, like, and what, like, you're, you represent the Students for Justice for Palestine, explain a little bit more about that, and then we can further go on in, in the interview. Okay, well, my name is Daniel Hanima. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a sophomore at the University of Illinois, and I'm majoring in neuroscience, and I've also served as the president of Students for Justice in Palestine this past school year, and will continue to serve as the president for the next school year, and Students for Justice in Palestine is basically just an educational organization that tries to promote the self-determination and liberation of Palestinian people on campus. So we do a lot of events, like we do culture events to show, like, resistance through culture. We do rallies and protests to protest, like, uh, murderings and Israeli massacres happening abroad. And we also do uh, Israeli Apartheid Week every year, which is a week of events that uh, promote, like, Israeli Apartheid. And we have a mock apartheid wall on the main student quad. And a lot of students come up and ask us questions, and it actually mimics the real apartheid wall that separates Israel from Palestine. And we also do uh, divestment campaigns as well throughout the year. And this campaign is to urge the university to remove their investments from 16 companies that violate human rights. And among these human rights violations are companies that support war crimes in Palestine. So we do engage in a lot of, like, uh, campaigns, a lot of events, rallies, uh, culture events as well to show that we also can resist through culture. 
and mainly we are my primary focus is to educate the student body on the situation that's happening in Palestine. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think like um, so. Like what I really wanted to like have like this interview was for was just to have like someone who actually lives the experiences of being like Palestinian and like not speak for but have you like locally talk about like what are like the current things that are going on we recently talked about in the podcast that we're the um, like 50 at least over it's over now like 50 uh Palestinians were just killed like I believe last week um mm-hmm. during like the U.S. embassy that was um established in Jerusalem um and so we talked a little bit about that, but I think, like, it would be really great to just, like, hear a little bit about what you want to talk, like, um, about that, like, the whole backstory with what happened with that. Um, and then also, too, um, if you want to talk about, like, with your, like, um, cousin, I believe, that was that was shot, um, mm-hmm. and just update about that. Um, and then, yeah, just further that on. Okay, so it all started uh, six weeks ago. So there was a mm-hmm. great return march in Gaza where mm-hmm. thousands of people from Gaza, and just a little background on Gaza, Gaza is the largest open-air prison in the world. It's the most dense okay. population with over 2 million people living in there, and it just declared a state of emergency, and people there don't have food and water. 99% of the water is undrinkable, and, right. uh, yeah, so no one's allowed in and out, and Gaza is, like, the largest open-air prison. And so these people were doing a great return march on uh, May, I mean, in April, and this was to, they just peacefully marched to the Gaza border. And it was thousands of people living in Gaza, Palestinians. And it was called the Great Return March because they, it was like a fight for return of Palestinian refugees. So they wanted to return to Palestine. And it also was like, uh, because, uh, in 1948, 750,000 Palestinian refugees were displaced from their homes. And these mm-hmm. people and their villages were burned down and thousands were murdered. And these people were fighting for their basic human rights and to return one day to a land that is free. Mm-hmm. So these people just had flags, uh, uh, signs, each other. And Israeli soldiers were sniping them out one by one, where over 60 were murdered in that one day. And uh, it was honestly, like, crazy because the Israeli uh, soldiers, IDF soldiers, Israeli Defense Force, mm-hmm. They were murdering uh, uh, journalists, like the press. They had uh, v- bulletproof, like, vests on them, that, that press, and the snipers were still sniping out their legs to make them disabled, and they were also sniping out medics. So a lot of medics were trying to catch the people that were injured because although only 60 died, over 5,000 were injured at that one day. So they had mm-hmm. to, uh, so the medics were on site helping people that had been shot, and uh, they were sniping out the medics so that they wouldn't help them. And a lot of children were shot, children, like, under 18, which mm-hmm. is crazy. And then, like, Israel tweeted out, the Israeli Defense Force tweeted out that they know where every bullet landed, as in, like, every bullet was justified by them. And that was, that was like, six weeks ago. And then recently uh, there was another uh, protest. This was as the U.S. moved their embassy the, their U.S. embassy from uh, in Israel from to Israel from the place in Israel to uh, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is known as the land of three nations. So it was never formally mm-hmm. given to Israel, nor was it given to Palestine. It was just the land that there's a, there's a mosque. There's, there's a mosque there, isn't there too? Like yeah, there is. Historically, for yeah, there's a mosque, there's a synagogue, and there's also a temple. 
and these people could all uh, go there, a land of three nations, three different faiths could go and pray in Jerusalem. And to declare it like uh, an Isra- to declare it as the capital of Israel was like offensive to Palestinians who uh, declared Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine as it was in historic Palestine, and that also legitimizes and normalizes the Israeli state and uh, mm-hmm. all they're doing to pal- to oppress Palestinians, especially the checkpoints that Palestinians need to enter Jerusalem. So with that, uh, people in Gaza and people in the West Bank were protesting that as well as the Nakba 70 anniversary, which was means, mm-hmm. which means that there was 70 years since the Nakba. And the Nakba was May 15, 1948, when 750,000 Palestinians were displaced from their homes and villages were burned down. And a lot of them left with their keys to their home as a sign of hope that one day they'll return to their land and they still haven't returned yet to a liberated Palestine. So they did the march to protest like 70 years of still demanding for right of return to Palestinian refugees and basic human rights. And, uh, yeah, so with that, there was protests that broke out. Uh, there is declared over 100 dead, uh, over 10,000 injured, over 5,000 shot, and zero Israelis injured or killed. And, and this was during so, one, this was during this one? This was recently, last week, yeah. There was it. Okay. Yeah, this was May 15. And then Israeli soldiers were also throwing in uh, kites of fire into the Gaza border. So kites that are burning so that they can burn down places in Gaza. And actually, Mm. one of the kites they tried to shoot to Gaza backfired and ended up going into Israeli territory. And then Mm. they made a rumor saying that, oh, Hamas terrorist members, they they did these they did these kites into our territory when it was really the opposite because their plan backfired. <laughs> so like that wow. was like an example of them like spreading rumors and lies and like and saying that like the people yeah the over hundred people they killed were all affiliated with terrorist organizations when in fact mm-hmm. like an eight month old baby died. Mm-hmm. And with that there was also like protests that broke out in the West Bank as well just to protest the Nakba and the U.S. Israel embassy move. And in the West Bank, it's, like, a lighter condition than Gaza, because in Gaza, like, it's, like, there's no, like, freedom of movement or anything. Everyone's, like, at risk of death 24-7. And in the West Bank, it's a little lighter load. So there's protests that broke out, and my uh, 13-year-old cousin was a part of one of those protests, and he's only 13, and he was with his other friends who were around the same age, and they were just protesting. And uh, literally nothing on them, of course. They have nothing. There's no way to get anything in the West Bank or Gaza. Um, mm-hmm. They're not affiliated with anything. And they were just protesting on an Israeli settlement territory. And IDF soldiers sniped my cousin in the stomach. And uh, their bullets are so strong that they go through your entire body. And our tax dollars as U.S. citizens actually pay for these bullets because million of uh, Israel's army funding comes from the U.S. tax dollars. So Mm -hmm. one of those bullets went through straight through his stomach. And when he was running away, uh, they sniped him in the back again because Israeli soldiers don't just shoot to disable and injure. They shoot to kill, no matter the age and no matter whether you had anything on you or not. So their intention was to shoot to kill. And when he was unconscious on the ground, they also wanted to arrest him after as well, just for protesting and not not doing anything. So he's already unconscious okay. on the ground, and they want to protest. I mean, they want to arrest him. And his friends like quickly carried him to the nearest hospital to get him uh, 
some meds and uh to get him aid and they quickly like there's actually a video online from a journalist that <clears throat> posted him entering the hospital and his condition was horrible and he wasn't even conscious and they did surgeries around his heart to take out the bullet and they did uh other surgeries to take out the other bullets and then like he was in a coma for a few days and they also like were scared because they did surgery around his heart and that was like present like heart conditions. He is also suffering from kidney failure. And then there was also a uh, lack of blood circulation in his legs. So they wanted they possibly were thinking of amputating his both of his legs. And this is just from two sniper shots, like to his stomach and back. And uh he recently just woke up from a coma, still not fully uh able. Uh, he's still undergoing surgeries, and he's still, uh, uh, they're doing dialysis as well to, like, get him circulation back, and, uh, he still has, he still is in need of more surgeries, even though they did a ton, and he was transferred to actually three different hospitals because of this, and now he's in, like, a more efficient one, and, uh, he, and the, now after this, uh, he's, uh, in better condition than before as he woke up from a coma, and, he still has more mm-hmm. and we actually launched a GoFundMe page recently, and this was to, uh, like, raise money because families in Palestine aren't prepared for this type of, like, medical cause, nor are they prepared mm-hmm. for, like, transferring to efficient hospitals and, like, other neighborhoods in Palestine that are more affluent. And so we did a GoFundMe to raise money to transfer him to a more equipped hospital, and to raise funds for, like, the surgeries, and so his family doesn't have to worry about that as long as uh, mm-hmm. while worrying for his life at the same time. So we have that good on me launching, and we're just thankful for the best. Right mm-hmm. Yeah, may Allah continue to heal him until his um, health progresses, inshallah. Yeah. Um, and we'll definitely share that uh, GoFundMe as well, too, on our on our pages and social medias. Um, but, yeah, like, this is, yeah, it's definitely a lot to definitely... Um, to unpack um and i think like one of the main like real things that why i was really pushing to especially get you on like to to speak and like on this interview was because um the around this conversation i've seen like like consistently when it comes to like palestine and just knowing about like israel and like palestine like the history of that and what's currently going on every day like every day and just and the news is like you pointed out pretty well, is the fact that the way that, like, Israel turns the narrative to make it seem as if there's nothing going on and, like, it's just, mm-hmm. like, they're they're equally fine and what they're doing is just um, clashes and why they're doing it, right, while they're doing it. And also, too, um, I said this before, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like I think the best propaganda tool is the way that, like, especially Americans don't realize the history and, like, like our update or, or understand what the real uh, severity of like the way that that, that Palestinians are being oppressed in you know in in Palestine, um, mm-hmm. and I think, and I don't know, I, I, like I guess if you want to explain more, I think what what do you think makes like why do you think there is such a big push of people not like lack of knowledge of understanding that or just is it because of ignorance? Is it because of the fact that we just don't have that capability of getting like the actual information that we should get? Because for me, I can be honest, like, I I never really got, like, a full concept of it. Of course, like, living in the Muslim community, I understood, like, I heard about it like, growing up. But it's, like, once I was, like, really, like, actually invested the time to re- research myself and then also being in spaces where, like, the SJP 
and just other Palestinians and hearing their stories, that's when I, like, started really, really grasping and, like, understanding. And also, too, I think there was a lot of similarities in the way that, like, the police work here and the way that IDF worked there, too. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me even more understanding about, like, the the severity of it. So if you want to talk more about that. Yeah, actually, uh, interesting is that the police force in the U.S. get trained in Israel by the Israeli Defense Force in order to come here. Yeah, yeah. So, the same, so the military that shoots Palestinians trains the police that kill black and brown folks here in the U.S. So that's right. one thing that, like, ties the two struggles in together. And uh, speaking on, like, why a lot of Americans lack this knowledge is because the U.S., tends to deceive or hide these things from U.S. citizens because of the fact that Israel's their only, demo- uh, their only uh, ally in the Middle East. So right. uh, and Israel obviously tries to perceive itself as, like, the only democracy in the Middle East. And, you know, but mm-hmm. because that the U.S. needs an ally in the Middle East in case of war and future, uh, and future. so, like, uh, they chose Israel as it being the white supremacist regime. And they chose Israel, and because of this, because of them being their ally, they donate $3.8 billion a year from our U.S. tax dollars to them. And actually, President Obama actually moved that from $3.1 billion to $3.8 billion to Israel. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. also interesting. And uh, they don't want citizens to know where their tax dollars are going. And that's, like, as simple as it is. They mm-hmm. They don't want people to question it, you know? And, and also, they don't want people to question their ally. And also, too, a lot of, like, companies and corporations, like you were just referring with the BDS uh, um, divestment, is the fact that, like, a lot of, like, U.S. companies, too, also invest in, like, in Israel as well, too. Um, I think one of my, like, my co-hosts who said also brought up that, like, a lot of makeup companies, too, here also invest in Israel. So that's another thing that, like, people don't, aren't aware of. But, yeah. Exactly. A lot of American corporations, such as Caterpillar, Motorola, Northrop Grumman, HP, these all support Israeli war crimes. And uh, I guess, and I would say another thing is ignorance as well. A lot of Americans don't take time to educate themselves about something that is not affecting them personally. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, sure, we have the Americans who definitely educate themselves and are, like, by terms, woke. But, like, the average American will not even know what a Palestine is. And I learned that the hard way by, like, me on campus advocating the people to sign divest petitions or to learn about Israeli apartheid we, and a lot of people ask me, like, what is a Palestine? And, like, yeah. that is just, like, mm-hmm. like, it's shocking to me because, like, that's my identity. And I grew up knowing everything about it and, like, mm-hmm. every single thing. And then this American asking, even if it's a country, is, like, is like every day. It's an everyday thing. And it wasn't just one person. It was hundreds of people that asked, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And I would yeah. say a lot of it is also, like, propaganda in the media. So on news, when you watch the news, it's going to be, like, Hamas terrorists, like, oh, like, mm-hmm. killed two Israelis or something. And they're not going to say that, like, it was defense and that, like, Israel killed 1,000 citizens and two defended themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. They're going to say that two died. Right. Two Israelis died rather than 1,000 Palestinians were killed. And that can even have been, yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, even with that, like, um, I was, I saw a tweet, too, that was saying, like, um, also notice the language and the way like the like the media like will put like headlines out. So like with, mm-hmm. like, with the over like fifty um, Palestinians that were killed, they made it sound like it was past tense, like as if it already had already happened when it was currently still going on. 
And so that, and they continue to do that a lot, of, especially like New York Times does that a lot. And it didn't, it didn't occur to me until I realized that people were saying that. I was like, oh, wow. So I need to check that too. And so like, I think like that's another thing is, is definitely the propaganda with the uh, media as well too. Yeah, it was like, it was like, oh, 110 Palestinians died. Like, okay, who killed them? Like, you know, right. they tried to dismiss the oppressor in that case. Yeah. Because it's almost like taboo. Right, because it's, it's, yeah. it's definitely a, a bigger controversy if you say Israel, Israeli IDF killed this many people. Right, right. Then Hamas killed two people yeah. or something. And they would yeah. say that. Mm-hmm. But I think um, with this march, though, like, mm-hmm. because zero Israelis were injured and zero died, like, America's waking up a little bit. And I would say it's like, it's it's kind of a shame that this has to happen to educate people because now people are seeing this all over the headlines. And they realize that zero Israelis were killed and zero were injured, and like that speaks for itself. Like, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. How do you like feel about like? I mean, obviously we can we can unpack how that because I also saw with people being also aware on like especially social media, people were saying like trying to distance it from distance distance it from being political and saying, oh, this is a humanity crisis and. If you want to explain exactly why that's problematic in saying that and why we can't distance it from being political. Um, yeah. I would say humanity is political in itself, you know? Like, the reason that they're killing us is not because we're, uh, it's not like a free issue, like everyone should coexist and have peace. Like, they're killing yeah. us for political reasons. They want that land. They want this, like, for Gaza, they want the oil that's circulating under Gaza. They want that. Mm-hmm. For Palestinians, they want their land. They want Palestinians to be diminished. Like they they want to uh, they want to commit a genocide against Palestinians. They want to ethnically cleanse them, and it's literally a genocide. And like that's political in itself. Like right. and people want to say, oh no, just stop like fighting. You know, it's a humanity thing. Like no, it's political. Mm-hmm. Like which also has a basis in humanity as well. But like. The land, the dispute in general inherited, was inherited from political reasons. Like, we can't yeah. just say that one day, like, they just decided they wanted to kill Palestinians. No, it was about land and how they said that there was no indigenous people on that land, which is political, and mm-hmm. it originates from the Balfour Declaration when the British signed away our land, mm-hmm. which was very political, and to the Zionist movement, and then the Zionist movement, which is a political ideology, that movement is the movement that kills and oppresses Palestinians. It's not other human societies. Yes, yes, and uh, that's another thing too is bringing up the the conversation of there's a difference between anti-Semitism and Zionism, which I oh yeah <laughs> briefly discussed in the previous episode. But I, I think that's another thing is a lot of people love to bring up the fact that like oh you just hate Jews or whatever. It's like no much more deeper than that you know and it's not even and that has nothing to do with anti-semitism um but it's it's sad that you even have to bring that up well not even like that it's just ignorant to like think that you can equate the two you know right exactly and like i feel like that's like the one defense mechanism that they always have that oh you're anti-semitic when in fact like sjp justice in palestine does so much work fighting against anti-semitism more than any other org on campus we hosted over mm-hmm. 20 events this year distinguishing anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism because we wanted to disprove your one defense mechanism. Because it's yeah. not true. Like, there's that diminishes, like, Palestinian Jews that exist. 
Like, yeah. do they not exist? Or how about organizations like Jewish Voice for Peace that fight against, like, Israel's crimes and towards the liberation of Palestinian people? And the, then, like, the defense to that is, like, oh, they're fake Jews. Like, okay, so does Israel speak on behalf of all the Jewish population? Like, no, it doesn't. And, in, and, in, mm-hmm. and like, in addition, in Israel, like, they don't treat all Jews the same if it's really this Jewish land. Like, mm-hmm. the Ethiopian... Yeah, the Ethiopian black Jews in Israel get treated much lower than, like, the white Ashkenazi Jewish people in Israel. And they actually mm-hmm. used to sterilize the Ethiopian woman in Israel without their mm-hmm. intention so they wouldn't reproduce other black Jews in the area. And they also mm-hmm. would, uh, right now they have 150,000 African migrants in Israel, and there's bonds. Mm-hmm. So if you find an African migrant and turn them into the Israeli, like, uh, military or court, you get a bond fee. Like, you get rewarded. It's like a reward really? for turning in an African migrant. Yep. They're trying to keep the, them I, out I know, of Israel. I know, like, they just recently just de- started trying to deport them. So I didn't know they were now doing bonds, too. Yep. So they want to take out 150,000 African migrants. And as well as they also decided once that they wanted to, they they had a law for it. They wanted to put white Jews on one one bus and black Ethiopian Jews on another bus. And someone said, no, 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 that that mimics South African apartheid too much. So they didn't do it. They didn't go through with it. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, like, just, like, the treatment of, like, darker Jews in Israel, like, Ethiopian black Jews, is, like, proof that it's not a Jewish thing. It's not Jewish versus people. It's literally a white supremacist, like, nation Mm -hmm. that is against Palestinians or people of color. Yeah, definitely. Um, how, so with all this information from this whole interview, what do you think is then a uh, responsibility for people who are not directly involved? How are how can we as people then educate ourselves and make sure that we're well equipped into making sure that we're better accomplices for the Palestinian um, liberation? I would say definitely join your local Palestinian liberation organization. And it doesn't mean that you have to walk in knowing anything. Like, we have people from our first meeting that says, like, I heard about it. Like, I don't know anything. Like, it's our job to educate you, to make you equipped to become an activist and to do activism. So you don't need to know, like, beforehand knowledge. And, like, just joining that organization is a step because, like, they do campaigns, which actually directly will affect Israel's economy. They do uh, Israeli apartheid, which will educate other people. So it takes one person to be educated to educate a whole room of other people. And so, like, just joining, like, your local organization, um, correcting people around you. So when someone says, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, Israel has a right or something, you know, educate them. Like, don't dismiss that type of behavior from even people around you in your own social circles. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if able, probably donate to organizations that provide medical relief to Gaza. Uh, that's one thing. There's one that was going around by MAP. Mm-hmm. And they raised over a million dollars, actually, to give medical relief to the people in Gaza, which is great. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, so I would say activism is, like, the only thing that people in the diaspora can actually do. So even me, I'm Palestinian. And even if I go to Palestine, there's nothing much I can do unless I'm calling for my death sentence. So as a person of privilege, like, in the diaspora, which is I don't have to worry about occupation and crime, all I can do here is educate, which is actually the biggest weapon for them educating other people mm-hmm. and, like, you know, bringing them towards activism and liberating and increasing the numbers is their biggest threat, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then if you want to talk further about like the divestment and how that has worked out for you guys. Yeah, so for divestment, we launched it last year for the first time, which was like two school years ago. Yeah, and um, we lost to 4753. And mm-hmm. that we lost uh, due to like rumors and like they were paying for ads and rumors saying that like your internships and your scholarships will be lost. It's like the if these investments get removed, which is very untrue because uh, the investments are coming from the endowment fund, which is a private university fund, and no scholarships have come or come or internships come from that fund at all. So that was just a rumor they did to trick the student body or like because we're the number one engineering school, so they wanted to trick the engineers and the business kids into like thinking that their future was at stake with that. Instead of saying that, like, oh, Palestinians are wrong or something, they literally were just trying to trick them in different propaganda means. So that's how we lost the first year. But we did add see it as a success. Like, we educated, like, thousands of people. Like, we said, yeah, sure, over 2,000 voted no, but over 1,000 voted yes, which was, like, a big success yeah. for us. Because there's not even 1,000 people in SJP or, like, orgs that we work with. And this yeah. year, this year we launched it again for a second time. And they were very prepared. They spent $45,000 on the opposition campaign where they bribed people with insomnia cookies and pizza uh, to vote no. So you had to vote no right in front of them and you would get like a reward, like a treat. And they were actually also bribing intoxicated kids in the bars and people who can't give consent to vote no. And they were doing all this, and at the same time, like, uh, go, going, digging up old tweets of like me and other SJP members and like, putting it out of context and paying thousands of dollars for these advertisements that, like, deem us as, like, devils, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the whole school basically saw these advertisements against uh, Divest, which is thousands of dollars. Uh, thousands were bribed with cookies and pizza, and the vote turned out to be 65-35, so we lost again. But we also did educate a lot of people in, like, our campaign. We barely spent $100. Which was almost like forty five thousand was like crazy for us. But they definitely use bribery and like other propaganda techniques to win their votes. And we are currently under investigation to vote to the votes because uh we got dismissed when we reported all of this and they said that L S J P harasses Jewish students was was which that narrative is like extremely harmful to our narrative that we try to push. And the administration clearly sided with them, which was, like, a dismissive towards us and all the work we've put through it. And so we are going to do it again next year and fight harder. And even if we have, like, even if it's very grassroots and we don't have the funds like them or the propaganda or the power in the system, that's we're going to keep doing it. So. Mm-hmm. And so the big key thing is definitely, like, the mobilizing and getting people yeah. to be much aware and, like, to organize into different strategies. Um, and the biggest strategy is definitely is divestment. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something that I think that would be something very good to continue on doing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think, like, I think um, I think definitely it's a responsibility for me and as, as well as others to inform other folks about this because it's a continuing on thing. Um and yeah, hopefully, inshallah, you know, yeah, we get to the point of liberation. You know, get to the point of liberation. One day, obviously. Yeah, um, and you brought up a good point too: is the fact that, like, especially connecting it to systems of oppression, making sure that, like, we bring it back to the fact that, like, 
this definitely does connect to white supremacy, capitalism, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And so it all adds up. Yep, which is why we do a lot of solidarity work with other organizations that fight against the same roots. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Well, this was really a great conversation, very insightful. Um, I definitely appreciate you again for having having us on for the podcast. It was really great. Of course. It was nice. Um, it was an honor to be on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, please take care of yourself. Um, again, I'm definitely here for you personally. Um, I know this is a lot of trauma for you, definitely living the experiences. Um, and, yeah. So we're definitely going to keep you uh, keep the viewers updated on all the things that are going on in Palestine. Um, if there's any other like things that you want to like add before we close, that'd be great. Of course. So yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. Join SJP Students for Justice in Palestine and check out the GoFundMe that this page will share later. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I look forward to uh, people being more mobilized and educated, and hopefully one day we'll be free. Yep. Thank you again. Bye. Bye. All right. We'd like to thank Dunya for taking the time out of her day and um, letting Shamim interview her. And um, we do send our love to her. And um, thank you again, guys, for listening. And um, use the links that we provide um, to help out. Thank you.